da 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 You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. We're continuing our Oscar conversation here on Mad About Movies with arguably one of the most anticipated movies of the year, one of the most successful movies of the year critically, and it's already picked up the Best Picture win for Golden Globe drama movie, and uh, it's nominated for Best Picture. So, would it not be a, uh, a year of Mad About Movies if we didn't hit every Best Picture nominee that we possibly could? So here we are, Batman Shane is in the house, the Hollywood Insider. He has uh, attended a screening with Roger Deakins and Sam Mendes, and he's going to share a ton of insight about what they had to say about the making of this movie, and I'm excited for that. We're also joined by co-host Brian. Hey, Brian, how's it going? What's up? Man, this has been a weird one. We were supposed to record this on Monday, and then uh, Richard had a thing, and so we pushed it to Tuesday, and then Tuesday I came home from work, uh, I run, if you don't know, I run youth sports like, and I yell all day cause kids need to be yelled at. Uh, and I <laughs> came home and was like, guys, I'm dying. I can't, I can't talk. My throat is killing me. And so we pushed it to Wednesday and I was like, I'm just not going to be there. I need to take a couple days to not you invested talk. in a megaphone, Brian. <laughs> no, no, I have a very loud coach voice, but it also haunts me after it's my blessing and curse. Uh, you should, Brian, you should get one of those old school ones that like Cecil B. DeMille used to use in the thirties. Yeah. They're like yeah. four feet long. Yeah. And I'll yeah. talk, I'll talk in that voice too. Yeah. Get in a director's uh, chair. Yeah. 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 And I'll talk about the pictures as well. Uh, get down kids. Let's go watch a picture. <laughs> but, Mark and then, so then I was like, okay, I'm out. And then 30 minutes ago, I was like, you know what guys, I'm, I'm fine. I'm in. Let's, let's do this. So we got Shane to come in for me. And then I was like, no, okay, it's fine. I'll do it. And then Richard was like, oh, thank God. I'm, I'm feeling terrible, so I'm out now, too. Yeah, so, so Richard's under the weather, so um, <laughs> y'all don't come over to my place. Yeah, yeah, we'll stay, <laughs> away. Thing we didn't stay, stay away. Stay away from me. We yeah. didn't hang out last weekend, but uh, but yeah, so in delaying it, Shane was able to join us, and it's Which all the I think I think Sam Mendez owes me a, a huge thank you for this, because the last time I was on the show... Uh, the movie in question inexplicably got 11 Oscar nominations. Right. So I think that uh, the the movie th- that we're talking about today, I think it's a surefire lock for Best Picture now that I'm here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, you might know Batman Shane from our previous Batman-related episodes, but he's also been a, a frequent guest and contributor to the show and also is a vocal member of our Discord channel for our VIPs. So if you're not a VIP and you want to get on that Discord, continue the conversation off the air, it's been a great time over there, and it's continuing as we speak as my phone is lighting up. So, uh, good times, madaboutmoviespodcast.com slash VIP. For those people, we just dropped our, uh, our AMA, we just dropped our Kindergarten Cop episode. we got Shutter Island coming up on that feed. So, good times happening always in the VIP Bar Lounge Grill. And so, it is time to talk 1917. Man, I have been anticipating this for so long. It was almost on my movie draft list, but since it got pushed to January, I... I didn't risk uh, the you know basically two weeks of box office. It was what I would have had before we would have had to pull the plug on the movie draft, and so uh, didn't end up happening. Uh, but yeah, this was one that I had circled. I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago when I saw what uh, what Roger Deakins was up to, and uh, very anticipated for you know more than more than just like about being World War One. I think, you know, I, a movie about World War One would intrigue me greatly. 
In fact, uh, I, I don't know if you guys have seen, but uh, the, the Peter Jackson documentary, Shane, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it. The They Shall Not yes, Grow Yes, I old. have. Yes, yes, indeed. It's a- absolutely excellent. But if you have not seen it, it's worth the watch for sure. Worth the watch. It's it's not necessarily a typical documentary. Um, Peter Jackson did an incredible thing in going back and getting this footage from World War One, completely restored it, um, adjusted the frame rate of it so that it looks like actual movie footage, 24 frames per second, and... He, uh, you know, because when you watch a film from the, you know, from a long time ago, it was like this frame rate was so um, low that it like everyone's like running around essentially, you know, like everyone's like fast motion. So, um, so yeah, he adjusted it to 24 and colorized it in parts and also hired lip readers to go in and look at what people were saying and voiced things. So it's like there's sound, there's you know, it's actually incredible. It looks like a looks like a film, but it's a documentary, and it's all voiced by the actual voices of the war, which is uh, which is definitely um, you know only adds to it. So definitely would recommend that. So you know the subject matter intrigues me a lot, and then you add Roger Deakins on top of that, and you add Sam Mendes, his collaborator for Skyfall, on top of that, and a, and a director that we are fans of on the show, and. You know, this one piqued my interest quite a bit. So, you know, needless to say, I was uh, I was excited for 1917. But the question is, did it live up to the expectations? And I'll say technically, man, this was a technical marvel, technical masterpiece, uh, if you will. Um, it, it, you know, from a filmmaking standpoint, and we talked about Parasite uh, earlier this week, and that episode will drop tomorrow, by the way, on the main feed, about, uh, you know, the technical achievement of Parasite. And I think this is on that level. This is one of the best films I've ever seen in terms of how it looks and how it's shot. Um, the overall experience with the score and with uh, with all the visuals combined, it, it's certainly an epic. And and uh, you know, I don't think anyone can disagree with that who's seen the film. Mm. Um, but it, it, you know, it's surprising to see it nominated for best original screenplay because the screenplay is is kind of minimal in it, and it, it's. At the same time, it does set the atmosphere quite well. But, uh, you know, I I still think, and this might be a hot take on this, um, because I think this movie was great. And I'm going to grade it out very highly, and it's going to be, you know, on my list perhaps at the end of the year for my top ten. But I still think that the definitive World War I movie has not been made yet. Mm. And uh, this is a great movie. It's a very isolated experience. But uh, I just think World War One is such an un- untapped territory cinematically that somebody's going to go in and make the the definitive movie about about that war. Um, you know, uh, how many movies, how many World War Two movies were made before Saving Private Ryan? You know, and that and that again is an isolated incident, but it really did kind of capture the essence of that war and all its and all its horrible violence, right? Um, so this this more felt like a an adventure film, at, you know, in parts than it did sure, a war movie. Yeah. You know, I didn't really get the the war is hell vibe near as much as I did or expected to get with this. You know, um, I think they shy away from that for spectacle for some reasons. Uh, but at the same time, man, I, I can't I can't say enough good things about what a what a cinematic experience this is that everybody should probably go and see. So. 
passing it off to uh, Brian, mm. and then we'll uh, Shane prepare your your thoughts and um, your thoughts and observations on the panel from uh, Roger Deakins and and the director. So go ahead, Brian. Yeah, a lot of great stuff. I I, uh, I echo what you said there, Kent. It's uh, I was excited for this. I I. You're, you're spot on. We don't do World War One movies very, very often at all. It's been a very long time, except for for Peter Jackson's doc last year. Uh, as far as narrative features and whatnot, haven't done it in a long time. And you, you think about great ones, and it's like, well, Lawrence of Arabia, but that almost doesn't feel like a. It doesn't feel like a war movie in the 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 traditional sense of what we think of when we think of war movies i think and then you have Pav- yeah it kind of feels like it yeah. transcends the that, genre. that one yeah. is yeah it, different that, that one is different i think paths of glory might yeah be the, paths of the glory yeah World totally one movie totally yeah yeah i totally agree but i would also hazard to guess that the majority of our audience has probably never seen paths of glory it's not it doesn't have <laughs> i don't mean that as a knock on no i know audience i know what you at mean, all yeah. I, I just yeah. it's it gets which is it gets swallowed up in, which is a shame yeah but, it, but look it gets it gets swallowed up in kubrick's own filmography and then also you know it, it was made in i'm looking at the i had it mid 50s i think yeah it was it was uh yeah, mid to late 50s Gosh, I had it right here in front of me. And then, oh, yeah, 57. Well, 57. 57? Yeah. I mean, and here's the thing. That's the other thing, Brian, is I would say that if you were to ask a majority of even film fans, I would I would wager a guess that a lot of them don't actually know that that's a Stanley Kubrick film. Probably so. Yeah. Right? Because it's, so, it's yeah. so famous for being a war movie, and it has Kirk Douglas in it. Right. And all these things yeah. that people kind of forget. Like, oh, yeah, and by the way, it was directed by Stanley Kubrick. Sure. Yeah, no. It just I, almost I, feels I like an afterthought. I think that's spot on. And, and like a 20-year-old yeah. Stanley Kubrick, too. Sure. Like, Sure. Super yeah, fresh, right. like hadn't really established himself at all. Yeah, either. absolutely. Absolutely. So you have that. And then, it, you know, all it it seems like World War Two movies are a genre. Uh, Korean War movies are a genre. Vietnam movies are a genre. And, and World War One movies kind of aren't. And um, and it just kind of is this lost era uh, of our of history. And then by a proxy sort of is, is a lost era in, in film, I think. And so um but I was ex- I was very excited about this. The, the Deacons feature was really cool and really gave you a great look at like holy cow, like we're seeing some stuff with this, right? And uh, the way it was done. I don't. Sam Mendes is interesting for me because it's like I go through his filmography. He doesn't have a whole lot of credits. Um, and I hate American Beauty and I love Road to Perdition and I hate Jarhead and I'll tolerate Revolutionary Road and I think Away We Go is really good and and kind of forgotten. And Skyfall is so great, and Spectre is so not great, and so it's just an he's kind of all over the place. Um, but he also tackles interesting. He, he doesn't stay in the same uh, he doesn't stay in the same genre. He doesn't just stay in the same common ground that he's used to or familiar territory. Where he kind of goes all over the place, and I love that about him. Um, so I was very excited about this. I, I got together with my I took my, my dad and, and my brother and my brother in law. We went to see it together over the weekend. Um, when it finally was here, um, I hate, you know, limited release, not being able to see it for a couple of weeks was very frustrating, but went to see it. And it is very, very much, uh, a movie that you have to, you, I always, I, I think we, sometimes we get crap when I say this, but I'm going to say, cause this is one that I think it really qualifies for. Like, it's so awesome that we all have big TVs in our house and we have a TV in our pockets at all times and all that sort of, like, it's so cool that you can just. Pull out your phone and watch pretty much whatever movie you want at any given time. Um, please go see this in a theater. Like I think you are missing something 
by not seeing this in a theater. And in, in three months, if you watch it on your phone or on a DVD or something like that, I, I do think it's going to lose some of its uh, grandness. You're saying I shouldn't have watched it on my Apple Watch, Brian? <laughs> That's how I right. experienced 1917. Yeah. Martin Scorsese just had a stroke when you yeah. said that. Uh, he, just, he just keeled over. Why are you watching my, pictures on a, yeah. on a watch? Yeah. Yeah. I watched mine on a Zoom. Yeah, so that, exactly. That was... Yeah. Yeah. So look, it's 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 a grand spectacle. This is a the easiest walk to the to the podium I have ever seen in my entire life uh, for cinematography. Like if this doesn't win. We should stop having we should stop having awards. Um, it's it is it's just such an impressive feat from a cinematography standpoint um, and all that. I don't know yet, and it won't be able honestly. I won't be able to figure that out until we have some distance from it. I don't know how it's going to hold up as far as not its quality, but like, am I going to remember this as a great movie, or am I going to remember it as a great experience and a great spectacle? And either of those are great. I'm not, you know, it's not a knock on on the on the movie if it turns out that that three years down the line, I really only think of this as like this great theater experience more so than a great movie. But um, but that does in a year like this that has been so great, and we've seen so many good movies over the last three or four months that it. When I'm looking at my top ten and top twelve and trying to figure out who you know what movie slides into what and what deserves best picture and what and all that sort of stuff, it's a it's an interesting it's like a little caveat or an asterisk almost that I have to put on myself and put on the movie of like I'm not sure because it's so much more about the way it's shot and the way it's put together and all that stuff and I wonder how well that will hold up over you know the next three or five years. But that's sure. not Sam Mendes's job. I should. Clear, like just to be clear like that's his job is to make a great movie and a great to do this the experience that he's he wants to make and make the movie that he wants to make and he did that so so well it's a really incredibly crafted film i don't know what its legacy is going to be i guess is what i'm trying to say right yeah it, it does just to echo you it does feel like a uh a shoe in for best picture if there ever was one at least know. cinematography i mean i don't know if it's going to win oh. best picture this is a great year but cinematography this is a walk to the podium i think so. oh for sure absolutely uh, uh absolutely Shane, go ahead yeah. yeah yeah i mean so i i agree with you brian i think that that um there is kind of the concern there that is this movie going to ultimately end up as just kind of a great theatrical experience or is it going to just hold the test of time as a great movie? But I've actually seen it twice now, and I can definitely say that it is it is going to be one of those movies that if you happen to catch some of it, like on TV or you're flipping through HBO or whatever, it is going to be one of those movies that you are going to sit there and you're going to finish because you just get sucked into the story so quickly. Yeah. Um, that it's And it just has such a nice momentum to it that, <clears throat> I, I don't know, I think for me, well, we'll get into that in grades and stuff, but... Yeah, on a general level, I mean, I will say that, you know, I think the highest praise that I can give this movie is that for people like us who we love movies and we watch movies on a fairly regular basis, and then for those of us who also geek out even a level further and we watch behind-the-scenes features and we do all stuff like that, it is a rare uh, thing when we see a visual effect or we see something done that we don't know how it was accomplished and this movie had multiple moments throughout it that I thought to myself, my God, how did they do that? Mm. You know, and it was this real magic movie moment where, or the, I should say the magic of the movies was, 
you know, uh, it completely fooled me and I had no idea how they did these things. And so it was a real treat to see a movie like this that kind of, you know, kept that magic of movies alive that that I wasn't able to see behind the curtain for so much of it. Totally agree. That's, um, I mean, genuinely, that's a great point and that's something that goes in its in its column, right? As a, that's, a, that's a, that's a point in its favor. Cause it's, I, I'm fully with you on that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, Ken, I think you're right because even though this movie, I, I, I think this movie is pretty incredible. I do think you're right that there's gotta be a movie that's a little bit more, that's going to be more of the definitive world war one. story. it, it one feels the, like a, a movie is going to come out a little more sweeping and it's, in it's, uh, scope. Does that make sense? When, yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, um, when well, there's so Sam, much that happened in the war and the end, you know, maybe be told from more than one perspective, you know, would be would be something that I'd like to see, too, you know? Yeah, and the most one of the most interesting things about World War One that, that this is not for me, actually, Sam Mendes said this, but he had mentioned that World War One was the only world war that started on horseback and it ended with tanks yeah. and planes. Yep. Yes. Like it's like modern warfare was revolutionized in the middle mm-hmm. of this war yes. for this war. And it's just crazy how the start of the war looked nothing like the end of the war. Yeah, um, I thought they did a good job of that here. Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like you know, Paths of Glory is great, but it, it's even though it's a little bit wider in its scope, and this movie is a lot more singular in its scope, there's got to be a movie, maybe all quiet on the Western front, but but again, there's got to be a movie that kind of does like a much larger kind of worldview of World War One to kind of just give you the technological right. aspects of the war, which are kind of one of the most important historical facts of this war. Yeah, um, but one hundred percent. While you're on that on that topic, uh, you know, the the th- a thing the documentary was talking about is the fact that most of these soldiers uh you know none nobody in world war ii they had the the benefit of like all these generals that fought in world war one like all came back you know or all were still right. in the service world war one for almost in almost every army nobody knew what the heck they were doing <laughs> because right. you know mm-hmm. they were all new soldiers and like these kids came and like oh my buddies from high school or, you know, is going in let's go, let's do this. And nobody knew what they were getting themselves into. And I really do think that this movie captures that well. Um, you know, the young kids and, and people running into each other in places and, and nobody yeah. really knowing where this was all going, you know, and it, it didn't, it feels like a bunch of average people out on a battlefield and, and that's scary in its own right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, uh, well, I can st- certainly start yeah, talking touch, about the panel. touch on the panel. Get- let's, let's, yeah, I guess we can't really spoil this movie. Uh, there's one big spoiler, but, uh, but right, yeah, absolutely. go talk about the well, panel and keep it spoiler, spoiler. Yeah, absolutely. So I, as Ken mentioned, I was lucky enough. I got to see this movie fairly early. I got to see it right before Thanksgiving and I got to watch it, <clears throat> um, and uh, it was a, a producer's guild panel. And afterwards, uh, Sam Mendes was there. Roger Deakins was there. Uh, the producer was there. The screenwriter was there. And then the two leads of the film were there. Um, so it was pretty neat. They actually had said that when we saw the the film, they had just finished it eight days ago. And we were some of the first people, like first general public people, to actually see the film. Oh, so wow. that was kind of a, a treat to get, awesome. to see it that yeah. early, pretty much. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. Sam was it an inter- industry panel? Uh, I mean, industry screening, Shane, like you and industry people? Or was it there were any fans there or anything like that? Uh, no, it was a producer's guild screen. Okay, gotcha, so, gotcha. 
so members of the PGA were invited, and then members of the PGA can also uh, bring uh, one guest. Although I sat next to like I sat next to a couple of tweens that were in like taped off seats, and clearly they were some like producers' kids. And at one point, like one of the girls was like, "Ugh, God, this movie's British." It was like, <laughs> oh, my God. "Kids are the worst." <laughs> like, anyways, um, I said but, the same so, thing though. In yeah, <laughs> British, ugh. Yeah. British, ugh. But um, Sam Mendes, you know, they, they came out after the movie was over and, and Sam Mendes kind of started talking about how after Spectre, he was waiting for a script to hit his desk that he uh, wanted to direct. And he said like a year went by and nothing really hit that was he was really interested in. And so one of the produce, one of his producers said, why don't you start writing that World War One script that you've been talking about? Because the movie was based off of some of the stories that his grandfather had actually told him that he did in World War One, so he pulled one of the writers that he liked from the TV show Penny Dreadful uh, off the show or you know on the side of the show, and he they co-wrote the script together. And so he was a little bit nervous about um, writing the movie himself. That's why he brought in a co-writer. So, but he was pretty obviously he was pretty pumped about the final result. And when he gave the script to the producers, they were like, "Oh, this is great. We're going to make this." So. He got tired of waiting and he wanted to make his own movie. So I thought that was kind of interesting because he'd never written a script before or at least gotten credit for doing any writing on a screenplay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so what did Roger Deakins d- uh, talk about uh, with oh, this? So, and and I'm sure a lot of the focus was on him in the panel. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, Roger Deakins is, is a, quite literally a living legend. So when he walked in, he he's got the goat. This huge yeah, he's the goat. Of, yeah, he's the goat. Yeah. He got this huge round of applause. I mean, he was, he, he was talking about, he mentioned that when he, when Sam Mendes sent him over the script on page one or two of the script, it said that it was he, that Sam wanted to shoot it as like a all in one shot type deal. And Roger Deakins said that he literally rolled his eyes and went like, Oh God, everybody want, like, this is so dumb. Everybody wants to do one shot. But he read this That's script awesome. and he was, I know, he literally was, he said he rolled his eyes. And uh, how many times a day do you think script, he takes a meeting where somebody says that to him? Like, okay. Oh, yeah. Probably. Exactly. Like, yeah. Some, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Something dumb or, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, all right. Yeah. But he said when he finished reading the script, he was like, I completely understood why Sam wanted to shoot it as one shot. And he said, I, and by the end of the script, I agreed that that was going to be the best way to do it. So he signed on to the project pretty easily. He had mentioned that he's at this stage in his career, he doesn't really care about budget um, because he's done little small movies, right? And he's done big movies like Blade Runner. Um, and he also doesn't care about stars, like who's in it or whatever. He just only accepts projects now that he either really likes the script or he thinks that the, the cinematography is going to provide him with a unique challenge. Mm. And he said that with this film, it literally covered both categories. So he was like, it didn't take me long to decide that I wanted to shoot this movie. And then it just became about the challenge of trying to figure it out. And so yeah. he and Sam Mendes worked for months. I mean, the prep work on this movie was much, they much said longer. Six than months of rehearsal shoot. just with the actors. Just yeah, walking absolutely. it all out, walking the paths while they were doing the lines so they knew absolutely. exactly yeah, the, where they would be at saying what, you know, where they were one facing, of the questions, all that stuff. Yeah, one of the questions that the actors were asked is that if they, they remembered all the lines from the movie. And they said that they didn't remember all the lines from the movie, but they said that they could start like they could walk the whole movie from scratch, right? Like, you know, start here at the tree, get up 20 paces, turn left, go into the bunker. Yeah. And they actually got out of their seat and they walked like the first five steps of it and everybody kind of That's laughed. hilarious. But they did say that they, they could actually get up and they could walk the entire movie uh, at the, 
you know, from, from memory. So that was pretty impressive. Now, speaking of what, well, let's, let's save that note until we get into spoiler territory, but there was something else interesting that the actors um, said, but we'll talk about that when we get into spoilers. Okay, great. Yeah. um, Insider released a great video um, that I shared on our discord and I'll put the link in the the notes of this episode on iTunes. If you want to check that out uh, about how the one shot technique was pulled off with Roger Deakins and, um, it is so impressive, the technology that went behind this. Um, so they go from basically two guys carrying a steady cam on like a plank, basically. It's like mounted to a plank. And mm-hmm. then they'll walk a certain distance and they'll like set the plank on a truck and the truck will start driving. And then the truck will stop and two more guys that are dressed in fatigues so you don't notice them will come grab it. And carry it a little bit longer, like through the, you know, because they several times in the movie they go from like on land, now they're, then they go down into the trenches, and now you're in a bunker, now you're out of the bunker, now you're in the trench again, now you're out of the trench, and they're running, you know, several shots like that in the movie. Um, But the seamless ability for them to do it without without doing like a, you know, there are cuts in the movie, you know, there I think there's they said there's forty different shots that are stitched together. and you can kind of tell where those are. And, and it's when they go in at a door, when a big object passes through, like when he jumps in the water, when he fades to black, several, several of those times. But I'm talking about like the actual, like one of those 40 shots, the seamless ability for them to change the terrain on the fly is amazing. You know, like to not notice yeah. somebody picking up the camera and setting it on a crane and the crane to do a movement and then to go back down and somebody to take it off the crane and keep walking without any kind of camera jitter, jitter or any kind of, you know, noticeable effect is, yeah, that's as remarkable as, 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 uh, you know, the fact that they did this all in one take is how they did it in one take, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I saw some, uh, videos or whatever of the camera essentially being like lifted on zip lines and yeah. stuff. People like grabbing it off the zip line. The one thing I'm still not entirely sure how they pulled off was the shot, uh, where, the sequence where he actually gets into the truck, uh, one of the one of the guys mm. gets into the truck. The camera actually goes behind the truck, and like, but how does it do that? Because there's a wall there, and then the truck starts moving. So, mm. was there a camera guy like hanging outside of the I think truck so. while it was driving? I think so. Like, yeah, I mean, they, they talk about like that in the, the video. Yeah, yeah, so. that's crazy to me. But that's that's it's awesome that they did it. Something else that they did, uh, you know, because every detail of this this thing was planned out is they built miniatures of every set that they were going to do. Every little town that they built, uh, you know, the little townhouse where the plane crashes, all that, they built it in mm-hmm. miniature. And so the the one long set for the flare sequence, they built it out, and they they actually, the flares were actually real flares that they shot off, and so that entire sequence is lit by flare, you know? Uh, no lights, nothing. It's all natural light, fire, things like that. So how they rehearsed that is they actually put the flares on wires so that they could consistently shoot them on the same in the same areas for multiple takes. But yes. they actually built mini versions of the wires over the mini set and like had little miniature lights on them that shot off so that they could see exactly how the shadows were going to fall onto the set as they were doing. It's unbelievable, but you have to see it in the video. They show the actual set, the miniature, how they did it. But that absolutely blew my mind, you know, that they, they were able to time out the shadows 
in the scene to know where, okay, you're going to go here, you're going to fall, you need to be in light, right? So to, to know where yeah. that light is going to be, it was a huge challenge for them, you know? And Yeah, to, to back up Brian's point, yeah. with, with all due respect to every other uh, person who was nominated this year, Good work. I mean, really yeah. well done. Oh, you yeah. should feel proud of yourself. Absolutely. But don't even don't bother showing up. No. Just stay home in your pajamas. Make it easy on yourself. <laughs> um, you know, just heat up a big bucket of popcorn. Just stay home. You're not gonna. It's Rogers' year again. So, uh, thanks for playing. Yeah, you know? I, I used to. I mean, uh, I'm a big Deacons guy, and I, I've thought that the the train sequence and uh, Jesse James was like his definitive moment you know like where they really burst onto the scene as a cinematographer yeah that's all lit by train light and then that shot of like the all the guys in the woods as the trains passing with all the shadows passing over them and stuff is just unbelievable but his ability to use natural light i think that's really where roger deakin sets himself apart from other cinematographers um he can pick a lens and pick the right camera and the right light yeah and and you know if you ever go out at night, just just try to imagine. Okay, now you have to shoot a movie in this. Like the task is unbelievable, and and his ability to do that is amazing. You know, Emmanuel Lebesky, who shot Birdman and did that all in one take, and did The Revenant, is on that same level. The Revenant was all shot with natural light, and that was I think the first time we talked about on the podcast that that had been done to that level, and I was just absolutely astounded that you could do that. <laughs> you know, that you could shoot a movie. We're using just natural light with no sets, no, no lights on the camera, nothing, you know, um, that's very, that's not easy to do. And I think Roger Deakins took that concept. Oh, I see your natural light, uh, use and your one shot. Now watch this, you know, he like one up to Emmanuel Lebesky with this <laughs> film big time, you know, it's like a competition. Yeah, exactly. I mean, especially when you think about how big this kind of scale of the, this movie was in the sense that mm-hmm. the camera went so many places that where would you hide the lights? There was nowhere to hide any lights or, right. or flags or anything like that that you could do in The Revenant because The Revenant was shot pretty close up for most of it. This movie was shot on very wide lenses to where you could see most of the terrain the whole time. There was nowhere to hide. You right. know? So Roger was talking about, uh, I should say Mr. Deacons, um, but he was talking about how so much of this movie it was just like, yeah, we planned it out to the T, but most of my job after we got set up was just praying that we got five, ten minutes of good light throughout the day that we could just shoot it, you know? That's a, that's um, another just, thing. Just uh, shooting off multiple days and then having to make it seem like it's all happening in a one- or two-hour period and match the light in the sky is is insane. You know, Steven Spielberg talked about that when he shot Jaws, that they'd they'd go shoot one day, and then they'd go out the next day to shoot, and be like, oh, the sky's gray. All right, we'll, we won't shoot today, you know, <laughs> because they needed blue skies. Like, it was... It's an immense challenge to be outdoors. Let's just, you know, if I absolutely that, but. and trust me, there's no amount of co- of color correction you can do in post, right? Uh, that is going to fix, you know, mismatching time periods during the day because everything is wrong. The shadows are wrong. The lights wrong. It's a it's a whole mess. So yeah, shooting a movie like this is incredibly difficult and it's incredibly um, ambitious. In yeah, scale I mean, just to try to do it. The undertaking of the movie just by itself is in, is very very difficult. And then you add, oh, by the way, we're going to make it look like it's one. I mean, that's, I mean, in some ways, you. I'm glad that, that uh, I'm going to call him Raj, uh, Shane, since you, you called him Mr. Deacons. I'm going to go the opposite route. I'm going to call him Raj. <laughs> Raj. No. Uh, I, it, it, <laughs> you see something like this. While I was watching it, I kind of giggled to myself at one point because I just had this this 
image of Roger Deakins being like, well, I'm the best of all time, uh, and I'm bored, and so I'm going to just try to make things hard on myself, like try to do things that no one else has ever done and just make it play that direction just to give myself a challenge, you know? That's that's how it seems. And then to not make it be a gimmick, right? Like both he and Edmundus together to make it feel like this is a reasonable thing to do, not just a, hey, look at the cool thing we can do with this, with the cameras, you know? And that's, no, totally. that's and incredibly that's- impressive. I mean, it, it is a gimmick, but but gimmick isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? I mean, we, right, uh, right, I right. think we've talked about this before, uh, maybe off the air, but like, I I disagree with you guys. I did not like the movie Boyhood, and I thought that if you remove the gimmick of that movie, which is that it was the same actor shot over twelve years or whatever, mm-hmm. I thought you had a pretty straightforward and frankly pretty uninteresting movie on your hands. So the the movie kind of was crushed under the weight of the gimmick there. But this movie, I feel like the gimmick not only worked, but it but it's the, it was the only appropriate way to shoot it, right? It enhanced the movie um, you know, a significant amount. Sam Mendes talked about in the panel that why he wanted to shoot it this way was because he felt like the word he kept using over and over was that the that shooting it with the one shot style would kind of have this sense of gravity, right? That either the, you know the camera was being pulled along with the two soldiers, or at certain points during the movie, the camera itself was pulling the two uh, soldiers along, and it just gave it this kind of immediacy and this momentum. I mean, you're it works so well because so many of those shots, when they're turning the corner, you're turning the corner with them, and it's not. Um, it's not scary like a horror film, but it is kind of that kind of thrilling, you know, not knowing what's around that corner and and you're kind of scared with them. Um, so I think that to shoot it one shot was definitely gimmicky, but I think it absolutely worked and it was it absolutely enhanced the story right. and the way this movie was told. It doesn't sure. rely on that. I mean, this movie's literally a, a Roger Deacon sizzle reel. I mean, let's be honest, you know, right. but it's got a story to boot that that works. Um, that actor that they got, what's his name? The main actor, uh, he was great. Um, you know, to, I guess we're in spoilers now. I mean, if you haven't seen 1917, uh, we're we're going into spoilers now. So there's only one real spoiler: is that his com- compadre dies yeah. on him pretty early yeah, on too. I want to say like 30, 40 minutes yeah. into the film. I didn't see that yeah. coming. That was a that was a surprise to me. Just based yeah. on we see 5 billion movies a year, you know, you kind of you, you recognize the beats pretty early of like how this like one of these two may die, but it's going to be second act going into the third act if not late in the third act itself and to have it Well, and that also on cool. that note, shout out to all of the trailer editors and yeah, all the people absolutely. who worked on the behind the scenes features because watching them you had no idea that that both of them don't make it till the end of the movie. Um so that was a real shocking moment when that happens when he dies um because you you at least me I did not see it coming, at least not at that moment, mm-hmm. you know. We got plenty more to talk about with 1917, but before we do that, I want to tell our listeners about Likewise. If you're not on Likewise, you need to get on it. Likewise is an amazing new website that Taylor's recommends just for you. We get a lot of questions in our Discord. We get a lot of questions in email about what people should be watching, what we're currently watching. So what if there was like a weekly recommends app? You can find tailored recommends at Likewise. What you do is you enter in the things you've watched. You get tailored recommendations just for you, like the things that you like. Likewise is the only app you need to discover what to watch or read next. In fact, Likewise learns from what you like to make better recommendations. 
If you ever wondered what's coming up on Hulu, what's coming up on Netflix, well, Likewise sends me an email every week that tells me what's new on Netflix that week. I don't have to sift through all their menus and all their scrolling marquees. Likewise brings it all there for you. In fact, you can recommend our podcast on Likewise to other people, and that helps grow the show. Honestly, with music streaming services, with all the books people are reading nowadays, it's just hard to sift through all those recommended playlists, recommended books. This puts it all in one place, and it could not be easier. Likewise is incredible. I've been using it for a while, so check it out. Go to likewise.com slash mad. Download the app. Enjoy Likewise and uh, follow us on there. Get Tailored Recommends. Boom. So, more 1917, guys. Let's talk about some standout scenes in the movie. The the first one for me is is the barbed wire, where he gets his hand caught in barbed wire. That was crazy. Yeah. Um, And then immediately dips it into like a dead body accidentally. Right, right. Yeah, he falls into a... It was a dead horse, wasn't it, or something? Or a dead body. Yeah, you're right, dead body. Um, so yeah, right before that, when, when they're in the trench and they're like, all right, uh, you know, they're asking where they need to go. And this soldier's like, all right, you gotta, you gotta cross no man's land. And they're like, oh God, you know? <laughs> and, and it's so funny because the, the image we have of no man's land up to this point is Wonder Woman, like coming out of the trench, like yeah, taking like tank fire to her shield and like doing all this stuff, you know, or whatever. Yeah, and, and war this was like the complete the, the opposite. In, yeah, a the war, scene horse, in war yeah. horse. Yeah, That's, uh, this is like the complete yeah. opposite of that, where you just expect something. And I think Sam Mendes played off that anticipation well. Mm-hmm. That uh, you know, it's like very tense, and it's not all out warfare, you know, um, which is probably more like it was. But really, you know, it's tough for these guys to make a movie this accurate to the time or what it was really like because literally there are no survivors alive from World War I. There's not one person that they can go to and say, yo, was it like this? <laughs> yeah. It wasn't? Okay. All right. We'll do it, th- you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas World right. War II, there's, you know, hundreds, thousands of, of veterans uh, still around. And, and yeah, it's, a different, it's a different thing, you know. It, it, the history books didn't really – didn't really record this one, you know, as nearly as in detailed as the other ones, you know? So it, it, it is a more of a challenge, but yeah, I didn't expect no man's land to be like essentially them walking through dead horses and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I thought it would be like, that would be the, the pinnacle, um, action s- sequence of, of the film would be that. Um, and it wasn't, yeah. so that was cool. And and from a guy who uses hand sanitizer about twelve times a day, that, that barbed wire sequence was just horrifying to watch. Oh yeah, that was that yeah. was tough. Um, I wonder how they did that. It must have been CG. Like, how did they? Some fake hand he was wearing or something. I I don't know how they how they filmed that. You Maybe know? he decaprioed it. You know, just cut he his just hand did and went for going, it. Yeah. Like you're gonna have to do it. It's like all right, right. we're going for the Oscar. <laughs> Um, uh, so they get into the bunker there and then they have the rat sequence and that one's amazing. Watching Deacons shoot that, you know, when they're walking through and all these empty bunk beds and all that stuff, gosh, it looks great. Um, and yeah, so they see the rats and then they notice the trip wire and I jumped out of my chair doing the tripwire thing hit. I mean, it absolutely caught me off guard, like scared me to death, you know? And so that's, that absolutely. moment really worked for me. How did that play in the theater, uh, Shane, for you at the screening? I, 
I mean, it was it was huge. I mean, nobody saw it coming because you, you know, you they see the tripwire, so you think to yourself, "Oh, we're totally fine here. They're going to just step over it." And then that rat falls, and it just before you can even mm-hmm. process what happened, yeah. it just blows up. And of course, to Brian's point, that's why you got to see a movie like this in the theater because mm-hmm. as good of a sound system as you might have at home, it's better in a theater, and it was so loud. Yeah. Uh, in a good way that it just it it shook you to your core where you're like whoa these guys are you know they're they're in trouble or they might be dead who knows um but you're absolutely right Ken. that sequence the suspense in that sequence and the payoff of it was just incredible it was so well done yeah um i don't know how they got the kid's face to change colors when he dies too like he goes completely pale white yeah that That blew my mind probably my guess that was probably probably, a little cg yeah yeah Little CG trickery there. That yeah. was amazing, but, but that whole sequence too with the when they get to the house and, and when the plane crashes or whatever, uh, that was incredible. Um, and and that oh, yeah. was the scene uh, I mentioned earlier uh, that I would get into it when we were in spoilers. The the, the actors only rehearsed the death uh, scene once. And they they recorded it, um, the actual rehearsal, and Sam Mendes loved it so much that he told them, do not rehearse this scene again until we shoot it. Because it was so, they nailed it on the rehearsal, and he didn't want them to lose that kind of energy. So Sam Mendes had filmed it, and he kind of got the mechanics of the, the blocking down, and then he told them exactly how to do it on set. But they literally only rehearsed that death once, and then they did it on set on the day. And that's why that was so kind of powerful and fresh because they hadn't rehearsed that scene to death. No pun intended. <laughs> nice. <laughs> hey, nice. Um, it, it had two really somber moments that I, I don't know if I could have done without, but I don't know. It felt like it was kind of emotional. Um, it was kind of an emotional moment that, uh, I don't know, a lot of war movies don't have. One was when they he goes into the house, the baby and all that. And the other mm-hmm. one is where he like walks through the, the woods and that one soldier is like singing the song, like the lullaby song and stuff. Um, yeah. that really, really kind of kills the momentum, so to speak. But, um, I can see how a movie like this can just be unrelenting if you don't slow it down a little bit. Yeah, you, you need know? a couple breathing. Yeah, points. exactly. You need a little yeah. bit to breathe, to, to, to build up to the, the final act. And that final sequence, uh, you've seen it in the trailer of him running across the battlefield, you know, and, and he's trying to find a Cumberbatch, the general uh, commander or whatever. And he, um, they're like, oh, he's 500 yards that way. You're going to have to wait till this wave goes out. And he's like, nope. <laughs> and so he doesn't go through the trench. He tries to run across, you know, take a shortcut, essentially. Yeah. And th- man, that, that all, that whole thing, you know, he, he, he runs into two guys, which wasn't supposed to happen. And you can tell. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah. one of the guys actually stays down because he's like, he probably freaked out and was like, do I stay down? Do I get up and keep running? You know? And, uh, you know, so basically, uh, our main character killed a guy when he was running across, the, <laughs> running across the thing. Um, yeah. The, the actor had said that during that sequence, the like two, like two, at least two people, like just straight up tackled him. Yeah. Like football practice. Yeah, two, but he was like, guys. But it's like, but he was like, you know, these, these takes that we're doing are all nine minutes long and there's literally millions of dollars being spent every second. So he's like, you just get up and you just keep yeah. going. You don't stop the take. You know? There's a great shot of, uh, in that little video, uh, in the show notes about, uh, of Sam Mendez, like on the front of the truck with like a walkie talkie 
and the truck is like driving as he's guys running towards the truck, you know, and he's like giving them directions, you know. Um, but they said they only had like three chances to do that because of the amount of pyrotechnics that were involved, you know, because mm, things yeah. are blowing up in the background the whole time. But so some really subtle CG used in that scene too, because the truck's actually driving on a road. And so they took out the road. They digitally basically had to erase the road with grass. And the meticulous nature of that is, is insane as well. Like to take all those soldiers mm-hmm. out, replace the grass, put all the soldiers back in to make it look natural like that is, you know, is something to behold too. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if this one maybe sneaks in a visual effects Oscar <laughs> as well, you mm-hmm. know, and a, and a best original sure. score Oscar. Cause yeah. this score is gorgeous too. Yeah. It's absolutely. Yeah. Thomas Newman, yeah. man, he always Ooh. brings his A game. Ooh, well, there's also there's a ton of visual effects in here that you don't even realize are visual effects. I mean, yeah, I think the, to... one of the rats is CG. You know? Oh, is it? For... Oh, that's. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah. I think it's a combination of real rat and CG. I think it's a real rat when it like first comes down and he's like, oh my gosh, a rat, and then it crawls back up, and then when it's going actually going across the. Uh, the like top of the room and he's following it with his light, you know, as it's like going across. I think that's the CG one. I suppose that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I've never attempted to do it myself, but I imagine directing rats is a fairly <laughs> challenging task. We have a, so. we have a listener. Uh, who, who, do you remember? Crosstown exotics. I don't, yeah. I don't yeah. I can't name. remember his first name right now, but that's what he does. He does, he does uh, animal handling for, we should find out if he worked it on this on, one. Um, was it a Rampage episode, maybe? Uh, ca- uh, Captive State. Remember that? Captive Last State, oh. yeah. I was, yep. was going to say, interesting, Ken. I did, know that, did um. not know that that giant gorilla was real. So, <laughs> yeah. It took um, a long time to raise him. You know, They started shooting that yeah. movie 40 years ago. It's just it's quite an yeah. achievement. Well, and, and, and you know, most, I mean, most impressively, right. That sequence at night with the flares that we were talking about earlier, when he gets to that giant burning church, that whole thing is a, is an effect that was, there was no church there. It was this massive lighting rig that, that Roger Deakins built. He said it was the biggest lighting rig he's ever physically uh, built. And uh, it was just this massive, you know, building shaped thing that had lights around all four sides and then lights on the roof as well. And you can see it in some of the behind the scenes featurettes, uh, you know, videos and shots like that. But it was not a church at all that was on, and it certainly wasn't on fire. It was that was all done in CG after the fact. But it was you'd never know. It was just that good of CG that you'd never realize, um, you know, uh, <clears throat> you'd never realize uh, is, is not there. It's fake. Yeah, it reminded me of the. The, the final sequence, the home alone sequence of, of Skyfall, where they set the house on fire and they're, you know, that's a very Deacon's moment, too, you yeah. know, where it's all lit by fire and Bardem's mm-hmm. like chasing Daniel Craig in the, you know, in the field or whatever. Yeah, that reminded yeah. me a lot of that yeah. and how, how it looked. But, uh, but like I said, man, this is a Deacon sizzle reel, a, uh, an absolute clinic in directing, you know, and, you know, I Mendez should probably win Best Director for this, but the competition is so stiff yeah. this year. There's just year. absolutely, yeah. absolutely like, like uh, timeless films we're going to be talking about for decades uh, um, nominated this year. So it's one of those years that makes you proud to be a part of, you know. And mm-hmm. and I, I certainly, when I saw 1917, I certainly said. You know, immediately when it was over, I said, hmm, yep, that should probably win every award it's nominated for, and I will have zero problem with it because it's an absolute clinic. Same with Parasite, too. Mm-hmm. If either one of those wins 
any award, I'm going to just say, yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, can't sure. argue there. You yeah, know, absolutely. Argue there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, certainly, I don't. I mean, they weren't showy performances. I think there were a lot of uh, performances that were probably bigger and probably a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I do want to mention absolute, uh, you know, props to Dean Charles Chapman and George McKay. Um, I thought they were excellent in this film. I thought casting relatively unknown people was the uh, the absolute right way to go for this. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam said that he cast them both because they both had kind of old-timey looking faces, and I, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they did a great job. I, you know, I... I I, no, no uh, criticism to look yeah. at all on any of the performances in this movie. I think Scott- you're right on about the uh, about the no names because as right. good as Dunkirk was, when Harry Styles pops up, it's like <laughs> what? Okay, yes, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you would have had not like a pop star, but imagine if you would have just had two, you know, kind of hot younger act like a Timothy Chalamet or mm-hmm. something in this a movie, Taron Egerton or be, something. Yeah, it would be super distracting because <laughs> yeah. they're yeah they're like celebrities. So. Sure. Um, you know, yeah. So I, I, those those guys definitely deserve to get a shout out because I thought they did absolutely fantastic yeah. in the film and kind of a thankless job too. Because you, this movie is is not about the acting like at all. And correct, uh, yeah, not, you're absolutely right, right. And so they just have to go out there and do. And yet, if the if the acting is poor, then we're you know we're gonna sit here and be like, yeah, this movie's really well made, but these guys suck. You know, so it's it's kind of a it's a tough spot to be in. And they they both did very well with it. I think one hundred percent, man. One hundred percent, and and uh, the snipe sequence was cool too, where he's getting like sniped at, and he's yeah. got to take the guy off the tower, and he's mm-hmm. like ducking behind the stairs. Yeah, and a cool, that. yeah, cool narrative MacGuffin there too, kind of to to have because you when you when you realize even if you didn't know going in, oh, this movie's made to look like it's one continuous shot and all this, you're you're kind of thinking on the timeline of like, okay, how how is this going to work? Because I know they got to get all this way and there's morning to come. There's, you know, the hours and such. And then to have him black out there and you have that one cut, I thought I was like, that's smart. That's a really, that's a creative way to, uh, to do that, to have, to, to get, get some time passage and, and put him kind of on a clock really as he gets to the end of this. Just up in the stakes. That's what good screenwriting does. Absolutely. And it was, it was done very well here. So, I, it's a little odd to me that this was this was nominated for an Oscar not not because it's the I mean for the the screenplay um, not because it's not a very good screenplay just because I think there were a ton of great it feels like it's a forty year. page screenplay though not yeah like it's a- just it's a little bit so I'm like I I credit uh, Mendez and and uh, who is the other writer that's in on this sorry I've I've forgotten uh, but anyway the, the deserves a lot of credit for putting this whole thing together it's very very well written it just it's a little bit different than what i would expect from a top five screenplay of the year when in a year that is so stacked with with great films christy wilson carnes by the way was the the other writer on this yeah yeah i mean i don't know i agree and i disagree i feel like if you if you were to put more this this was yeah i agree brian this is probably it feels like a 40 page screenplay but at the same time i think if you were to stuff it full with all sorts of alternate subplots and all sorts of things like that, that it just wouldn't have been nearly as effective. Yeah, no, um, that for sure. They, I mean, maybe the, the, certainly as far as the scripting goes, the biggest, uh, plus for me or the, the best thing that I would, I would credit is not overdoing it and not getting too cute with it and not trying to force in six subplots and, and all this sort of stuff. And it, it because it is just, it's pretty much you start and you go and there's a you you mentioned a couple little breaks kent 
Um, and that's, that's fine just to let you let the audience kind of ease back up a little bit before they throw these guys right back into the fire. Uh, but it, it very easily, you can very easily see the script, like pack 30 minutes of, uh, you know, him, one of them talking about his wife back home and one of them, uh, you know, really falling for the French girl and all, you know, all this kind of right. thing that just would, would really right, kind of bog right. this down. And they avoided all of those pitfalls and those little traps and stuff. And I, I think that's an incredible, that's very effective and, and makes the movie mm-hmm. work. It's also a funny movie too. There's, there's enough little throwaway lines and jokes and very British, uh, witty humor and stuff. And I think that helps a lot too. Cause you don't feel like just un- that this is an unrelenting slog to get to the end of this whole thing. You know what I mean? Saving Private Ryan does yeah. that well too. There's you, the, uh, the company, uh, the company of men, and and the the interactions that they have back and forth between each other, between harrowing scenes of death and destruction and stuff, is very helpful and effective when you're watching that movie because it it gives you just a half second to okay whew, get a little breath in and stuff. And this the, this movie does that very well too. Absolutely, like immediately after the one of the the, the other main character dies. Like the next thing you get basically right after that happens is, is the is the convoy pulls up mm-hmm. and you've got that kind of old curmudgeonly general and he's yelling at all the soldiers mm-hmm, to like mm-hmm. move the tree out of the road. Yeah, absolutely. But it's not that it's hysterically funny, but it's enough to just yes. let you breathe for a moment yeah. before you kind of get back to the mission. Yeah. Great usage of Mark um, Strong too. I love Mark Strong. I love Mark Strong, love Mark yeah, Strong as character actor Mark Strong. I get I get beaten quickly with Mark Strong as our third or fourth lead it just i mm-hmm. i really like him in that setting and when it, you, you don't see him his face when he shows up you just hear his voice and see his boots and i was like oh that's mark strong and he was really good and he's only in the movie for five minutes but i i love that usage of him i think it's really mm-hmm. fun and he's just very good at it and fits that totally that uh, model really well I, I think Mark Strong is in that same category, at least to me, as somebody like John Goodman, where they have been in a number of really crummy movies, mm-hmm. sure. but but they themselves have never been crummy in a movie, right? Like, even, like, take a movie like Green Lantern, which is decidedly not a great film. Mark Strong is really good as Sinestro. It's just unfortunate that it was a crummy movie, but... He's always a, a pleasure when he shows up on screen in any capacity. I just, I'm a big fan. I like mm. his work, so... Yeah, yeah, I know. It, I can't say I disagree there. Um, love me some Mark Strong. Wanted him to play Steve Jobs in the Steve Jobs movie. I thought he would have done. Yeah, but Coocher did a great job. So yeah, right. you can't take that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, I love me some Fassbender. Uh, but um, what, a couple more notes I wanted to uh, point out: the the difference between Saving Private Ryan and this, I mean, Spielberg went the complete opposite direction when it came to how he shot the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, this movie is on a steady cam, you know, it's, it's smoothed out. It's, it's sweeping, right? He puts, he, he didn't even put the camera on the tripod in Saving Private Ryan. You know, it was all ha- handy, like basically shoulder cam, you know, like as if you're, mm-hmm. you yourself are walking through this and getting knocked down by bullet fire and things like that. It's just a very different way to approach this and i guess this is the most definitive way to see the difference between those two styles you know the 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 vast contrast of the approach and and that's something to be appreciated i think because it's easy to take a movie 
like that and to just carbon copy it, you know, and mm. do a different story and have people love it, you know. So I appreciate Sam Mendez for going about it a different direction uh, and all that. So one more thing I wanted to touch on is the end with Benedict Cumberbatch. And when he actually reaches him and calls off the plan or the attack and he says, you know, okay, yeah, they call off the attack, right? And, uh, you know, he goes into his little bunker with our main character and it's like, you know, yeah, this attack was called off, but next week I'm going to get, you know, another message that says the attack's on, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, it's just the inevitability Mm -hmm. of war is really emphasized there. Mm -hmm. And that, that hit home too. And he just basically says, all right, kid, F off at the end, you know, like your job here is done. Go be in the war, you know, and go get yourself cleaned up and we'll see you out there. You know, it's, uh, it's amazing the sacrifice and it's sad the inevitability of war, but that, I think that movie, this movie touches on it very well, but any thoughts on the end? Any more thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, I you know, I, we, we kind of mentioned it earlier, but I, I absolutely love the, the sequence when right before he gets the Benedict Cumberbatch, where he just decides to hop out of the trench and, and just start running at full mm-hmm. speed mm-hmm. down the, mm-hmm. down the battlefield. Cause it's just, it is quite literally the, like it, that's exactly how you feel in that moment where you know you're close to the end and you're just desperate to to finish the job at hand and i just felt like emotionally that's where we were in the story too and i just thought yeah almost every choice in this movie was absolutely uh unassailable and it was just it was great i and i i totally agree dude and then you know <clears throat> after he's done with benedict cumberbatch and you've got that kind of scene then he goes back to richard madden uh, Richard Madden is really the brother. good too, by the way. Nice. He's really that dude's Matt. really good. And he, I, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, uh, Shane. No, no, go ahead. He, no, it's why you're He no, you're pops right. up in, in he, he makes interesting choices as an actor too. Like it's not fully there yet, I don't think, but that's somebody that you, I, I can look at and say, and you know, in five years, we're going to see that dude. That dude's going to do something huge. Um, and cause he, he's, he's he just really, did. I thought I read something today that he he's just in an Amazon series um, that's that's coming out that looks He does. I mean, he was in that. Uh, what is that show on Netflix? It was a, a British show that I recommended last year. I loved him in it. I thought it was really good. Now I can't remember the title. <laughs> I, thought, so. I thought for half a second you were going to say, What was that yeah. show? Oh, right. Game like, of Thrones. It was called Game yeah. of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tommen, by the way, that's the that was the uh, the kid who dies early. That's. Uh, Charles, that's he's bodyguard. He's, yeah, Tom and the bodyguard. There he goes. Thank you. Yeah, so two Game of Thrones folks in this in this one. But yeah, anyway, sorry. Mm-hmm. Richard Madden, really good. Going to going to go places. I think. Yeah, he's in the Eternals this year. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he'll go. be fine. Sure. Yeah, he's he's gonna he's gonna win out. He'll, he'll yeah. be fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah he'll be yeah. super jacked. I'm sure. <laughs> buy buy stock on Richard Madden now. Right. Get, yeah. get that stock money in. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, he was great in this. Also, Colin Firth in a, in a small role too. Very effective. Yeah. yeah. In the beginning. And no so, Clive Owen. Yeah, I thought so that was good. I thought that was really smart. Is if you're going to get celebrities, pepper yeah. them in. Great, great uh, way to do know, it. Absolutely. Short yeah. sequences. Yeah, I forget who the who played the general, the old cantankerous general that uh, that was yelling at the soldiers to get them out of the trees. But Mendez did tell a funny story that it was somebody kind of famous or somebody he respected. So he had to like ask them very humbly to come out and be on the set for the day and play this role. And the actor, he said, like, was really confused and a little angry uh, at the beginning because he was like, he's an old school actor. Oh, it's Richard McCabe. Oh, yeah, that's who it is. And he kept saying, and he kept saying, like, where's the camera? He's only a theater actor, it says. Yeah. 
Yeah, and so he like uh, never yeah. knew where the camera was because of the way they were shooting this movie in a weird way. He was just like, I have no idea what's happening. Like, am I acting? Am I not? Am I just hanging out? Like, <laughs> that's great. You know, but yeah, but anyways, so um, yeah, but it, it was a super smart choice. If you're going to get big names, just sprinkle them in here and there. One hundred percent agree. So I think that about wraps it up. Um, I'm right. I'm ready to grade this one out. Are you guys? Yeah. yeah. Let's do it. I'm going to give 1917 a uh, an A plus, man. As much as I wanted this to be a little bit more, I can't deny what it is, mm. you know. And it's incredible. So A plus for me. What about you, Jane? I would say absolutely agree. A plus. I don't know exactly what. Every choice in this movie felt like the right choice, and I don't know exactly what you could more want from this type of movie. Mm. So, yeah, for sure, um, A+. plus. I'll go just slightly lower and, and say it's an A. Um, there were just so many good movies this year that I'm kind of by nature comparing it to and stuff. Um, and and I, I still have this slight hesitation of, like, am I going to really care about this? as a movie in five or 10 years. I'm not, and I don't know the answer to that. I just, Shane, I'm, I'm the, and then you're, there's lots of people that are like this, but I think I thought about that when I made my top 10 list, um, that, that'll, when we do an up, can't and Rich and I are going to do an episode, Shane, your, uh, top 10 of the decade list is, is coming out on the website next week. Um, hey. when I was making that list, one of the movies I thought about was boyhood. And I had to think that through really hard of, do I think this movie is a great is a really good to great movie or was it just the experience? And I do. I think it's a great movie um, in addition to the way that it was shot and the experience of it and all that sort of stuff. I'm sure this is also going to be a very, very good movie. I just don't know that – I'm not totally convinced that in, that in five or ten years I'm going to think of it in the same uh, in the same terms that I am – two days after I saw it, if that makes sense. So for me, it's just, sure. it's a slight, just a slight bump, but this it's for sure. I have my top 11 for the year. Sort of can. I don't know if you've thought this stuff through yet. Um, I think I have my top 11. I'm not totally sure what's going to fall. I'm not, I don't know. Totally know the order yet. And I'm not sure seven through 11, like which one's going to get dropped from the top 10 and which one's not. So anyway, um, that's, that's kind of my, my thinking on it, but, uh, a very, very strong a, and a, and a movie that everyone should yeah. go out and see and see in the theaters. Yeah, absolutely, man. My, I've, I've seen a preview of uh, Brian's top 10 list and I will say bold, bold choice, putting cats as one through nine. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. It. Megan hacked Breaking me the rules and a little I, bit. I still haven't figured out how to get back control of my computer, but. I'm looking at my current top 10, and I got to say, man, looking at this year, I feel like every one of these in the top 10 we're going to be talking about in it's a great, 20 years. A great you know, I really year, do man. feel like that. It does not feel in the moment at all. Mm. It feels, feels like we got some classics on our hand, and yeah. that, that's a great feeling. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this movie really kind of, I'm not going to say came out of nowhere, but I will say, like, in hindsight, Wow, what a what a year we yeah. had with movies. I mean, there were just some great great right. films throughout really the entire year. But yeah, with all the it's going to be a tough Oscar year cuz there mm-hmm. were really a lot of great films that were nominated. Yeah. Absolutely. So, that being said, check out our Parasite episode this coming Thursday and watch Parasite in the next day or two if you have not seen it yet. We definitely would suggest seeing that one before listening to the episode. Mm-hmm. Because it can be very spoilery, very fast, and it'll might win Best Picture, so you probably need to see it anyway. Yeah. So, thank you, Batman Shane, for being here. 
I know you're not really on the socials, but if you're in the Discord, he's Batman Chain in the Discord, and you can interact with him all day, every day, and it's great. Absolutely. It's great. I'm in there, man. It's a fun time. You guys need yeah. to sign up and join. Yeah, it is. We have a blast. Yeah, there. it is good. So, uh, yeah, find him there. Brian, where can we find you? You can find me on the Twitter, Beagle12. You can find my writing at madaboutmoviespodcast.com, um, where I will have a top 10 of the decade of sorts. I'm going to save my official list for the episode that we're going to do, Kent, mm-hmm. you, me, and Arby. So I'll save my list for that, but I have some other, uh, some of the process of listing this out that's going to come out. And then Shane's list comes out next week, and we've had, I think we'll have seven or eight parts of this by the time it's done, seven or eight different contributors. And it's been really fun to, to read those lists and, and all this sort of stuff. So check out the blog, madaboutmoviespodcast.com. <laughs> I, thought, I thought for half a second you were saying my list was seven or eight parts. I was like, dude, what document <laughs> did you get? I did not. Yeah. I yeah. didn't read a novel. It was like three pages. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, just on that note, on the, on the all-decade episode, uh, we'll be doing that for our 600th episode where we're mm-hmm. talking about our favorite movies of the decade. But, uh, Brian, any indication whether a movie from 2019 will make the list? For me? Mm-hmm. No. But I've got three movies from – for me, top I, – I very, very much tried to blend best and favorite. Um, and rewatchability is a huge part of favorite for me. So I have – if I remember correctly, I have three movies from 2019 in my top 25, somewhere between like 11 and 25, something mm-hmm. in that stretch. But my top 10, I don't currently. And I haven't – I get a little more time to think about that, Shane, than you guys did. I put you guys on a deadline. I was like, I need it by this time and whatnot. Um, <laughs> I get a little more time to think about it because we're not ready for the episode yet. So it's always a little bit It's it's subject to change, but – in some ways, the 2019 movies are at a disadvantage because of recency, the opposite of recency bias, I guess. Of like, I don't I haven't had time to really rewatch too many of those movies, and is that going to be something that lasts for me forever? Am I going to rewatch uh, Ford versus Ferrari or Parasite or any of these 500 times? Like, I have some of the other movies of this decade, or not? You know, so uh, for, but at the moment, I don't have any from from this year in my top 10. Gotcha. Well, that's a good teaser. And uh, we hope you will join us up until then when we release our 600th episode here in the next few weeks. We're also releasing our top 10 of 2019 episode, Best and Worst. We'll talk, we'll do a complete recap of the year and officially move into 2020. So stay tuned for that and our Oscars post game show, where I'm sure we'll talk about 1917 a little bit more when Arby is here. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. until then, you can find me at Mad About Movies and find our show at madaboutmoviespodcast.com and the VIP Club fun so until then until next time we'll we'll, uh, talk parasite and maybe some bad boys for life we'll see you at the cinema hey baby i hear the blues are calling tossed salads and scrambled eggs and maybe i seem a bit confused yeah maybe but i got you pegged (laughs) but i don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs Again, scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya ya. The salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again.